to See, Hear, Speak podcast, episode 14. In this episode, I talk with Leslie Maxwell about coaching. What is coaching? How do we benefit from coaching? How do we effectively coach? And how does coaching help to promote evidence-based literacy practices? This conversation is part of a series on leading literacy change that I've created for a course I teach online at the MGH Institute of Health Professions in Boston. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to check out www.seehearspeakpodcast.com to sign up for email alerts for new episodes and content, read a transcript of this podcast, access articles and resources that we discussed, and find more information about our guests. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. Welcome to See, Hear, Speak podcast. Today I have Leslie Maxwell, and she's going to be talking about becoming an effective literacy coach. I also have Norma Craffy, and I will let them start by introducing themselves. Um, I'm Leslie Maxwell. I'm currently the associate chair of the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at the MGH Institute of Health Professions. And what that means is I'm a speech and language pathologist, and um, I helped found one of the uh, first programs in the country that really integrated language and literacy into our curriculum. Um, I'm broadly a pediatric expert. I work with kids from birth to adolescence, and I have a real love of language and literacy as part of that. And um, I will talk later about why I got interested in coaching, but I will say that I um, spent a lot of time um, as a consultant uh, to regular education around language and literacy. Hi everyone, Norma Craffy here. I am a first year doc student at the IHP and a reading specialist. Before being a reading specialist, I worked as a integrated classroom teacher in the pre-K through two public school setting. So Leslie, what got you interested in literacy coaching? Well, um, it was interesting because many years ago, before Reading First in Massachusetts, um, many of us who were in special education got pulled into the conversation about why so many kids in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts were not reading at grade level. And partly because I think our expertise was working with the children that had language disorders and dyslexia and communication issues, um, we were thinking obviously very strategically about best practices for reading. And it was really wonderful that there was this regular education, special education collaboration. And I got involved in that movement. We did teacher trainings across the state and I helped develop the oral language module um, as well as the phonological awareness module. And then I went on and was hired under Reading First as a module developer and a trainer. And I met a real, a lot of great experts in literacy and many of them were coaches. and. So I first got really interested in coaching because in speech and language pathology, we do not have a coaching model and we do very little in graduate school to teach our speech and language therapists how to coach teachers and families, et cetera. And so I started studying coaching um, as a concept. And um, I also read a great article in The New Yorker by Dr. Atul Gwande, who is a surgeon and who writes about various issues, who went out and hired himself a coach. He said, we don't have a model of coaching in medicine. Mm -hmm. We, and he found that by hiring one of his ex-professors to watch him do surgery and give him feedback, um, his percentage of errors went down substantially mm -hmm. um, right away. He had hit a wall. 
And so he started talking a lot about the need for coaching across professions. And then I took a sabbatical and I studied leadership and coaching and I worked with a bunch of business leaders. Uh, coaching is a big model in business. Um, and so I started getting interested in the meta aspects of coaching, um, uh, hoping to bring it into our field of speech pathology also, and to better be able to be a coach myself to people. But I'm not an official coach. And the last thing that got me interested is at age 40, I started a new sport. And this sport is called dressage, which if you don't know about it, it's not surprising because it's an equestrian sport. It's one of the three equestrian Olympic sports, but it's like watching paint that's already dried if you are not an aficionado. But I love it. It's my own small obsessive group of people that are interested in it. The funny thing about it is that I decided I really, so the only way to learn is to take lessons and what you really have is you hire a coach who's coaching you. So you're taking lessons, but they're also coaching you. And then I also read about it because I'm a professor and I decided to try to learn all about it. And um, I ended up winning a national award for writing about dressage, not writing dressage, which was super annoying for me. But I realized as I, uh, the other thing I did to try to catch up and move faster is watch people. And it's a small sport. So I've met most of the people that went to the Olympics and they all have coaches. And in dressage, we say everybody, even the best, even the gold medalist needs eyes on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think about coaching now. That's maybe a long answer. No, that's great. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if listeners might ponder this thought, like, okay, we don't have coaching in our field, but don't we have supervision? What's the difference? So it's a big difference because coaching is about activating the reflection, the knowledge, the goals of the person that's being coached. It's not meant to be evaluative. Mm. Um, and so I don't even like the word supervision in our field because I feel as if supervision, you have this vision of a person with a clipboard standing there, observing what you're doing and giving you feedback about right or wrong. And that is not the essence of what a good coach does. So then uh, Norma, what do you think about when you think of coaching? Because one thing that Leslie did when she came to the course and talk about coaching, she asked right up front for everyone to turn and talk. What is a coach? What does a coach do? So what do you think of when you think of coaching? So I think I share a lot of the same um, beliefs you have around coaching. Um, just as a classroom teacher, coaching was nothing that I experienced. Um, also teaching in the pre-reading first, reading first error. Um, we did have some resources for coaching, um, but the coaches served in that supervisionary role, role. I was working in Connecticut at the time. And so really sometimes, um, I say all of the time, in my own experience, it never felt like it was a growth model or a model in which um, I could make mistakes and it was always tied to your evaluation. So it caused a lot of anxiety among teachers. Um, since then, I know they've done different pilots with uh, mentoring and ensuring that the um, teachers that are being mentored are being mentored by people that are non-evaluatory and that has shown some good results. Um, I've never actually taught in a building that has had a coach as a reading specialist. Um, coaching wasn't specifically in my role, but I did work with some teachers that were, you know, wanted me to come in and give them feedback and model lessons. And I, I did really enjoy that part of it. But I think the key point that you highlighted is, is that it's not evaluatory and that it's based on the person and, and how to grow their profession because we all need it. So you said that you aren't a coach. Are there people that are hired and trained as specifically as literacy coaches by a district or is it usually a consulting firm? Like Absolutely. And I think you, what you mentioned is it, it goes 
district to district, state mm -hmm. to state, what we call people, and then how you define what their role is. Okay. Um, and so um, with many of the schools that we worked with in the group that I was working with that did whole school change, our first requirement was that you have a building-based coach mm -hmm. and, um, and, and that that person's role. So the role of reading specialist, I think we're talking about this mm -hmm. because I think that you can um, create a lot of change if what you're doing is facilitating the growth mm -hmm. of the school team that's focusing on student outcomes, mm -hmm. right? And so right. you need to have these skills because, right. um, but but in the role of reading specialists, some schools will actually say, okay, part of your role is coaching mm -hmm. and part of your role is direct service. Mm -hmm. And so, and it could be even defined as 50% 50, 50 of that. I mean, one thing I think is important about coaching as I look at coaching in general, Dr. Guande, and in a literacy team, you want the person to be a content expert. So you, you have to kind of start with having some content expertise. Um, but many coaches, life coaches, they have expertise in coaching, but they can coach anybody from any profession because mm -hmm. what they're doing is helping you understand what are your goals? Mm -hmm. What is it that you want to achieve? Mm -hmm. um, in the business coaching, they coach across businesses. So these guys that are often were perhaps um, experts in their own, either as coaches or usually as, they usually have a, you can get a coaching degree. You can become licensed as a coach. There are some national licenses. Um, and um, But you also, most of them had business background, but they would be coaching maybe in healthcare when their experience was elsewhere. I do think with literacy coaches, um, you're, you're most effective. You need to have content background. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what your role is, is not just activating that person, but also thinking of, your school as a team that's working together and collaborating about best practices mm -hmm. for kids mm -hmm. and then individually working with people about how one implements mm -hmm. those best practices. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like it's a state of mind really because as a reading specialist you may not be called a coach, maybe mm -hmm. you will depending on the district, the school, but this is a hat you could wear and to wear that hat effectively you have to have a sense of what is coaching um, you've just mentioned it is not a valid, evaluative, what am I trying to say here? It's not evaluative, um, but it is facilitative, yes. right? So what are some other aspects of coaching that are critical uh, in thinking about having that coaching mindset and being a coach? Yeah, um, I think that you had maybe a conversation earlier about difficult conversations. Yes, um, And so mm -hmm. I think having some meta knowledge about how to have difficult mm -hmm. um, conversations. Um, you know, one of the things that, um, one of the things that happens when there is change, for example, in a school, so sometimes um, coaching is about uh, helping people access new curricular materials, or there's always things that are happening, coding change. You have people that respond differently to the need for change. Mm -hmm. um, and you have people that love change and are early adopters, and you have people that really don't like change. And, and change in schools is stressful for people. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of planning that goes into mm -hmm. being a teacher. Mm -hmm. And changing means changing every your materials and what you do on a regular basis. So one thing that we talk about in the class is thinking about a bullseye with three rings. And for everybody, um, uh, that the middle is your comfort zone. And the next ring is your challenge zone. And in fact, if we're going to grow as professionals and we're going to keep learning, we need to be coached how to get into our challenge zone and to grow. But the outside ring is your panic zone. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you need coaching about how to not stay into your panic zone, mm -hmm. right? In mm -hmm. faced with change or challenges and also how to keep challenging yourself. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, I wonder what is the kind of the, the most important coaching tool that coaches use in the schools especially? 
Um, I would say listening. And um, we do a, an activity um, in our counseling class, actually, from a man named Dr. Luderman, where you just ask someone, we give them a question prompt, and then you have to sit and just listen to the person and not respond while they talk mm -hmm. for three minutes. Mm -hmm. And it's very interesting because the listeners um, find it hard not to add their own stories or their own piece, and the, but the speakers, um, and I will say, not to be stereotypical, but the women speakers often feel very uncomfortable talking about themselves for just three minutes. And so it's really interesting how we've kind of lost the ability to listen. And it's something that you have to train yourself to do if you're a coach. Mm -hmm. um, I think listening and asking questions and helping people be self-reflective and um, uh, is more important than giving feedback. And it really does, I can see why you talk about that in counseling, because it does seem like that's a, a counseling skill to be able mm -hmm. to listen actively and maybe mirror back what you're hearing yeah. from the person and help them to be reflective. Mm -hmm. And does a coach also help people to think about their purpose and how to get to the purpose within the, you know, challenge zone versus panic? Tell me what you mean by purpose. I'm, I was thinking about it, the idea of making change in school. And if you're working with someone and they're wanting to change the outcomes of their students, and then you're, you're you know, t listening to what they have to say about that and then refocusing on to improve the outcomes maybe that helps them to maybe adopt a new policy that would be uncomfortable. And, but to get, when you're doing active listening, you can help to determine why is this uncomfortable? Yes. And I, I would say, I asked that question because there was a very specific um, area on my sabbatical that I explored and went through training on, and it's called purpose-driven leadership. Oh. And what's interesting about it, and it's a whole activity you go through, and basically you drill down um, to what your specific thing that you bring to every situation, and that's your life purpose. And it and it and it's not necessarily being a teacher or teaching kids to read. It's or it, because it's it's something that shows up in your life everywhere, in your home life, in your life. Who are you? And a question that everyone says when I interview people is the hardest question I ever ask is, what is the mark that you're going to leave that's individual to you on the students? that you encounter here if I hire you as a faculty member? Wow, that's a tough question. It's a hard one, yeah. <laughs> but if you kind of know your life purpose, then you kind of know wow. what it is. Mm -hmm. And I would say that my life purpose um, has been to, it's been hard for me to get the words for exactly, but to give voice, if it makes sense. The mm -hmm. idea that, and give your own individual voice to the world. And so that means that working in, in districts that are usually kind of a, some high poverty districts that are really struggling with literacy. If those, if I can help those kids and those schools become literate, then they're accessing their voice, right? Yeah. They're giving yeah. voice. And it's this, I, my, one of my favorite groups to work with is toddlers that can't mm -hmm. talk because it's like your first words, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? I yeah. had a little two-year-old come mm -hmm. in and he knew my purpose, even though mm -hmm. I was the supervisor and yeah. I was working with the students. He walked in one day and he yelled mm -hmm. Leslie. Mm -hmm. and, he, and then he walked up to me and he said, I talk. And then he walked oh. away. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, you got me. Like, so, you got me. <laughs> so one thing I would say is that as a coach, if you think about teachers as yeah, individuals, yeah, yeah. you it's helpful if you help them see what their great talent is that they're offering to yeah. the kids. And to also acknowledge that they often are going to have to have what we call, um, what's your sweet spot? And then what's your workaround mm -hmm. around not your sweet spot? Mm -hmm. so you, and then if you're working with a team, 
like our grade level teams were like, okay, her sweet spot is, and his sweet spot, her sweet spot is designing for launch awareness activities. Mm -hmm. Your sweet spot is language vocabulary. Let's work in your sweet spots, share activities, mm -hmm. share the things as a yeah. team. You, you can also as a team think about that. So that's one idea about purpose, I think. Um, but the other thing I think you, you talked about is a collaborative purpose. Yeah. So one thing that's difficult for many teachers is they're in their classrooms almost alone. Like the, and so it's scary to have someone come in um, because you're being evaluated mm -hmm. potentially and mm -hmm. you feel that way. But the other thing is you're not really feeling as if you're part of a team or if you are part of a team, often in our schools, you're a grade level team. Right. And so the first grade teachers all say, well, we work great together, but we don't talk to the second grade teachers right. because they don't do yeah. things the way we do. Yep. <laughs> and then the, the grade school people say, well, we don't really know what happens to our kids after grade mm -hmm. school. They go to middle school and I don't know what happens yet, whether all this work we did changes things. And then when you look around the table, the kindergarten teachers say, well, no one talks to us yeah. about anything. And then if you have preschool teachers, <laughs> yeah. they're like, nobody yeah. pays attention yeah. or buys this curriculum. And so that, that goes back to leadership. And yeah. so, you know, one of the things I would say around if you're going to be a coach or you're going to have effective change is leadership's important. And the principals or the leaders of that school are one of the first buy-ins you need to have. Mm -hmm. And they, the team building comes from there. Mm -hmm. And it comes from thinking about release times for teams to work together and the way that we're going to train people together. And, but that common purpose is mm -hmm. very important. Um, it sounds like too, that you, when you embark on being a coach, you might also benefit from having a coach. So you're right. Oh, yeah. Right. So what would you say to that? Like in terms of benefiting as a professional to having a coach, I would say, get a coach. Mm -hmm. I would get a coach. And I think, um, it's so many of my friends in business have mm -hmm. coaches. Um, I think that, um, um, I think it's hard to find a good coach mm -hmm. that matches what your needs mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, uh, a number of the faculty members have coaches here. The Institute has hired coaches for mm -hmm. upper management people mm -hmm. because they feel as if it's so important. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's different than therapy, mm -hmm. right? It's not, um, it's, a, it's more about goals and about, um, it can be everything from just how do I manage everything that's on my plate and how do I prioritize and, um, and also your life as a whole, because we're all whole people and we are partners and parents and dressage riders or whatever it is. And oftentimes I think we, um, I definitely teachers struggle to manage mm -hmm. all the things that they have mm -hmm. to manage in their life and mm -hmm. at school. Yeah. What if someone wants to, so maybe that, you know, they're right in the middle, they're thinking about getting a coach to help them reflect, but then they're serving as a coach. How can they train to be a coach? What are some resources that you have for, you know, um, those who are interested in coaching? Um, so, um, you know, I'm going to give you some resources that we can upload yeah. um, for people to learn more about some of those things. Mm -hmm. um, there are direct, uh, there's some excellent articles about coaching. Um, there's some um, groups that actually train people to be literacy coaching. So they have modules about literacy coaching and that deal with both um, content level issues as well as um, uh, interactive kinds of things. Um, but I would also say, you know, but this is also who I am. I, say, I would say read widely, mm. grab. There's so many things. So we've been training recently about how to run simulations and the simulations are all about debriefing. Mm -hmm. They're all about the conversation that you have. And so a lot of my teaching is around cases now. Mm -hmm. And so what, 
in terms of literacy coaching, it's best if you start with the kids mm -hmm. and you talk about cases and then you, you debrief about what you see with people. And so that's the listening, the talking, the questioning. Um, one of the things that we had training on difficult conversations is always start with believing that there's goodwill on both sides. Mm -hmm. So if yeah. I walk into there and I believe that you want your kids to succeed, right. even if the little judgment in me is saying, but you certainly aren't doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I try to leave that outside the door and start with the, we both want what's best for the students. Um, so those are little things. Um, we talked earlier about growth mindset. Yes. Um, growth mindset is a concept that most teachers know about because it's really being implemented in the schools. And so I got interested in it again. I said, what is this? And it's a work of Carol Dweck out of Stanford. And basically, the way that she talks about it is that people with a fixed mindset believe that um, there's a fixed amount of who you are and how smart you are and what you can do. You are who you are. And it causes people to avoid challenges and growth and to feel anxious about change. Um, and that if you have a growth mindset, you see challenges as opportunities to grow you reframe that feeling of anxiety that you might be having as the flutter of I'm in the right place. Mm -hmm. And you seek out feedback and you seek out coaching and you seek out a team of people that kind of work towards growth. Mm -hmm. And there's an avoidance of feedback with fixed mindset. There's the imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of things that happen. And, um, and so we've realized that it's not something that's been executed um, in graduate school, really. And so we've been talking about mm -hmm. that with our students because. Yeah, it's obviously so important. Yeah. I'm wondering, you, do you have, we have a curriculum that you've been, you've talked about a curriculum that's been developed here. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. Um, I'm working with a team of student leaders. Yeah. Um, so I introduced the concept of growth mindset and I'll, some people it just resonates with and they're able to use it right away. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I would just say about growth mindset and coaching also is that I have reframed uh, when I go to my colleagues, I say, I need a coaching moment. Mm -hmm. And they say that to me mm -hmm. now. And so that means I'm not necessarily asking you for advice, I, but I am, but I'm mm -hmm. thinking out loud, but that we can all be each other's coaches mm -hmm. and it allow, it opens the door for conversations to happen. Yes. And I've had and a support. lot of help. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to go to my superior for it mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can go to anybody and yeah. say, I need a coaching moment. Um, and that's a little bit of growth mindset, which is I often now, now that I'm the associate chair, I'm in an evaluative role with people. And by, I think myself openly saying, I need your expertise and your coaching and your listening and your questioning of me, it makes us more of a, we're not very hierarchical here, but it makes us more of a team. Yes, and, um, and it makes people, I think, feel more comfortable being in challenge zones and being growth zones. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I definitely think reframing, I mean, it's such a human nature, um, almost like fight or flight to like avoid, mm -hmm. you know, uncomfortable situations or avoid situations where we feel Ooh, just really anxiety, but to reframe that in a way that's what you said. What did you say? It's, it's a moment of growth or it's, yeah, I think you should be look, there. I think our goal for our students would be that they spend a lifetime seeing challenges as opportunities yeah. for growth mm -hmm. versus um, uh, things to overcome. Mm -hmm. yeah, and um, people talk about a different about different about being a reactive mm -hmm. school versus a responsive school. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And um, yeah. I think um, that over as a leader. So be, yeah. And so, I mean, and, and it helps me I, as I 
mentioned earlier, being on a podcast, I had to have a growth mindset. I was walking over here going, panic zone, panic zone, growth mindset. I hate Tiffany. Um, So I feel your pain. (laughs) So I'm wondering, um, just thinking of all of the um, SLPs that will be going into schools or reading specialists that are going to be transferred in Massachusetts, they do have... um, a like a peer mentorship uh, within the certification program. Um, you know, whether you're transferring to a new school and you've taught for 20 years, you might have someone that's in your same certification area to touch base with and vice versa for new teachers. Um, but beyond that, we don't really have, like you're talking about, a way in which that when you're done at the IHP with your reading mm-hmm. specialist degree um, and you've never actually had the role before, there's there isn't that time and how um, schools are designed now for you to grow and to learn. And I have to say that I feel every day I'm learning new things that I look back on my career in teaching and and wish that I knew it at the gate. But I wonder if you have any advice for, um, you know, our reading specialists or SLPs that are going out into the field and they might not be in a coaching position, but they might be expected to do Mm. coaching. And they might not have that administrator that's on board, like you talked about being your first thing that you look at when you're doing whole school change. So how to, I know we've talked about burnout in previous episodes, but you know, how to manage that type of a situation, because I've, I've heard just in talking to a lot of peers and colleagues that that's the reality of what's going on in schools right now. So, um, there was a lot in there. And I'm thinking about something that I'm not sure is an answer to your question, but so one of the things I think that um, is important mm-hmm. for speech language pathologists and for reading specialists um, is that, and as me as a professional development provider, is professional development mm-hmm. stand up lectures don't work. Yeah. They actually don't, they, it, they either confirm what you already know. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't change you if you don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to implement that in isolation. Mm-hmm. And so I would argue that um, if you could establish a professional learning group mm-hmm. at your school okay. and that it could be a group that comes together and, and it, with a commitment to mm-hmm. uh, take something perhaps they learned in professional development and apply it mm-hmm. and come back. Mm-hmm. Um, another way to think about this is quality improvement. We mm-hmm. talk about that in healthcare. Quality improvement is a cycle. Mm-hmm. You try something, you evaluate it, and then you mm-hmm. go back and you try something mm-hmm. different. It's iterations. Yeah. Um, I'm a perfectionist. A lot of us are. Yeah. And, and and it's not a great mindset to mm-hmm. have. And um, and but it, we uh, many of us are. And and we want the best for everyone. And we want to be excellent at what we do. And we, I'll tell you, every single person that works for me, including myself, are course evals. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this for over 30 years stake through the heart if there's one comment, right? Yeah, oh, that you yeah. could have done something differently. I mean, it's just, yeah. we are that way. I had um, one of our board of trustees, I was working with him on a, on a project and he's a business guy and he would, his timelines for me were crazy. Like mm-hmm. that stuff I had to have to him. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he said to me, just give me a B minus. And I said, I don't oh. do B minus. And he said, no, in business we do B minus. He said, and then we do iterations and we may throw the whole thing out. Don't get too attached because mm-hmm. the team is going to come together mm-hmm. and make it better. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is yeah. a professional learning group can do that. Any te- you can create your own yeah. teams, even if it's not naturally yeah. teams, they often grow out of that. Yeah. Um, I just taught a course um, 
on literacy and online course to uh, paraprofessionals in a school and they all had their own professional learning groups and they all talked about that and they felt that was the way they were really able to process the information, mm -hmm. even though it was asynchronous and they were learning it on their own online, that made it real. Um, wow. So, so, and again, those are great ideas. It's, it's really, ideas. it's yeah. interesting. I'm just putting a connection together too in terms of like team coach. Yeah. Team coach. We're seeing a lot yeah. of sports analogies, but that's, there's something really there. Yeah. In terms of, you know, moving people forward, working together and collaborating. Mm. So I appreciate all the advice and that, that you've given us and giving so many new resources and context for the listeners. Thank you so much, Leslie. And thank you, Norma. <music> Check out www.seehearspeakpodcast.com for helpful resources associated with this podcast, including, for example, the podcast transcript, research articles, and speaker bios. You can also sign up for email alerts on the website or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or any other listening platform so you can be the first to hear about new episodes. Thank you for listening and good luck to you making the world a better place by helping one child at a time.